Hi, I'm James Nave. Thank you ever so much for tuning in and listening to my performance of A Child's Christmas in Wales by Dylan Thomas. I memorized this piece in 1987, and I've been performing it ever since. The performance you're going to hear, I offered on Zoom, December the 20th, 2023. I'm always thrilled to be able to have someone to listen, and I'm glad that you're listening now. So settle in and enjoy A Child's Christmas in Wales by Dylan Thomas. One Christmas was so much like another in those years around the Sea Town corner, and now they're out of all sound, except for the distant speaking of the voices I sometimes hear a moment before sleep. I can never remember whether it snowed for six days and six nights when I was twelve, or whether it snowed for twelve days and twelve nights when I was six. All of the Christmases rolled down toward the two-tongued sea like a cold and headlong moon bundling down the sky. That was our street, and they stop at the rim of the ice-edged fish-freezing waves. I plunge my hands into the snow, and I bring out whatever I can find. In goes my hand into that wool-white bell-tongued ball of holidays resting at the rim of the carol-singing sea, and out come Mrs. Prothero and the firemen. It was on the afternoon of the day of Christmas Eve, and I was in Mrs. Prothero's garden waiting for cats with her son, Jim. It was snowing. It was always snowing at Christmas. December, in my memory, is white as Lapland, though there were no reindeer. But there were cats, patient, cold, and callous, our hands wrapped in socks, we waited to snowball the cats. Sleek and long as jaguars, horrible whiskered spitting and snarling, they would slide and sidle over the white-backed garden walls. And the lynx-eyed hunters, Jim and I, fur captain, moccasin trappers from Hudson Bay, well, we were off Mumbles Road, would hurl our deadly snowballs at the green of their eyes. The wise cats never appeared. We were so still. Eskimo-footed Arctic marksmen in the muffling silence of eternal snows. Eternal ever since Wednesday that we never heard Mrs. Prothero's first cry from her igloo at the bottom of the garden. Or if we heard it at all, it was to us like the far-off challenge of our enemy and prey the neighbor's polar cat. But soon the voice grew louder. Fire! cried Mrs. Prothero as she beat the dinner gong, and we ran down the garden with the snowballs in our arms toward the house, and smoke indeed was pouring out of the dining room, and the gong was bombolating, and Mrs. Prothero was announcing ruin, like a town crier in Pompeii, this was better than all the cats and whales standing on the wall in a row. We bounded into the house laden with snowballs, and we stopped at the open door of the smoke-filled room. Something was burning all right. Perhaps it was Mr. Prothero, who always slept there after midday dinner with a newspaper over his face. But he was standing in the middle of the room saying, A fine Christmas! And 
smacking at the smoke with his slipper. Call the fire brigade, cried Mrs. Prothero as she beat the dinner gong. Well, he won't be there, said Mr. Prothero. It's Christmas. There was no fire to be seen, only clouds of smoke, and Mr. Prothero standing in the middle of them, waving his slipper as though he were conducting. Do something, he cried. So we threw all our snowballs into the smoke. I think we missed Mr. Prothero. And then we bounded out of the house to the telephone box. Let's call the police as well. And, and the ambulance. And Ernie Jenkins. He, he likes fires. But we only called the fire brigade. And soon the fire engine came. And three tall men in helmets brought a hose into the house. Mr. Prothero got out just in time before they turned it on. Nobody could have had a noisier Christmas Eve. And after they turned off the hose and were standing in the middle of the wet, smoky room, Jim's aunt, Miss Prothero, came downstairs and peered in at them. Um, Jim and I, we waited very quietly to hear what she would say to them, because she said the right thing always. She looked at the three tall men in their shining helmets, standing among the smoke, the cinders, and the dissolving snowballs, and she said, Would you like anything to read? Years and years ago, when I was a boy, when there were wolves in Wales, and birds the color of red flannel petticoats whisked past the harp-shaped hills, and we sang and we wallowed all day and all night in caves that smelt like Sunday afternoons in damp front farmhouse parlors. And we chased with the jawbones of deacons, the English, and the bears. Before the motor car, before the wheel, before the duchess-faced horse, when we rode the daft and happy hills bareback, it snowed and it snowed. But here... A small boy says, It snowed last year, too, and I made a snowman, and my brother knocked it down, and then I knocked my brother down, and then we had tea. But that is not the same snow, I say. Our snow was not only shaken from the whitewashed buckets down the sky, it came shawling out of the ground and swam and drifted from the arms and the hands and the bodies of the trees. Snow grew overnight on the roofs of houses like a pure and grandfather moss, minutely white-ivied the walls, and settled on the postman, opening the gate like a dumb, numb thunderstorm of white-torn Christmas cards. <gasps> Where were there postmen then, too? With sprinkling eyes and wind-cherried noses on spread frozen feet, they crunched up to the doors and mittened on them manfully, but all that the children could hear was the ringing of bells. You mean the postman went rat-a-tat-tat and the doors rang? No, I mean the bells the children could hear were inside them. I only hear thunder sometimes. I, I never hear bells. Well, there were church bells, too. I inside them? No, 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 no. In the bat-black snow-white belfries, tugged by bishops and storks, and they rang their tidings over the bandaged town over the frozen foam of the powder and the ice-cream hills, over the crackling sea. And it seemed that all of the churches boomed for joy under my window 
and the weathercocks crew for Christmas on our fence. Get back to the postman. They were just ordinary postmen, fond of walking and dogs and Christmas and the snow. They knocked on the doors with blue knuckles. I just got a black knocker. They stood on the white welcome mats in the little drifted porches and huffed and puffed, making ghosts with their breaths and jogged from foot to foot like small boys wanting to go out. And, and then the presents. And then the presents after the Christmas box. And the cold postman with the rose on his button nose tingled down the tea tray slithered run of the chilly glinting hill. He went in his ice-bound boots like a man on fishmonger's slabs. He wagged his bag like a frozen camel's hump, dizzily turned the corner on one foot, and by God, he was gone. Go on to the presents. There were the useful presents, mittens made for giant sloths, engulfing mufflers of the old coach days, Zebra scarves made of a substance like silky gum that could be tug-of-war down to the goloshes, blinding tam-o'-shanters, patchwork tea-cozies, bunny-suited busbies, and balaclavas for victims of head-shrinking tribes. And from aunts who always wore wool next to the skin, there were mustached and rasping vests that made you wonder why the aunts had any skin left at all. And once... There was a little crocheted nose bag from an aunt, alas, now no longer whinnying with us, and pictureless books in which small boys, though warned with quotations not to, would skate on Farmer Giles's pond, and when they did, they drowned, and books that told you everything about the wasp except why. Go on to the useless presents. Bags of moist and many-colored jelly babies, a folded flag, a false nose, a tram conductor's cap, a machine that punched tickets and rang a bell, never a catapult, once by mistake, which no one could explain, a little hatchet, and a celluloid duck that made, when you pressed it, a most unduck-like sound, a mewing moo that an ambitious cat might make who wished to be a cow, and a painting book in which I could make the grass, the sky, the trees, and the sea any color I pleased. And still the dazzling sky-blue sheep are grazing in the red field under the rainbow-billed and pea-green birds. Hard-boils, toffee, fudge, all sorts, crunches, cracknels, glaciers, marzipan, and butter Welsh for the Welsh, and troops of bright tin soldiers who, if they could not fight, they could always run, and snakes and families, and happy ladders, and easy hobby games for little engineers, complete with instructions. It was easy for Leonardo. And a whistle to make the dogs bark, to wake up the old man next door, to make him beat on the wall with his stick and knock our picture off the wall, and a packet of candy cigarettes. You put one in your mouth, and you stood on the corner, and you waited for hours in vain for an old lady to come by and scold you for smoking a cigarette, and then with a smirk, you ate it. Then 
it was breakfast under the balloons. Were there uncles like it, like at our house? There are always uncles at Christmas, always the same uncles. On Christmas morning, with dog-disturbing whistle and sugar fags, I would go out and scour the swathed town for news of the little world and find always a dead bird by the white post office or the deserted swings, perhaps a robin, all but one of his fires out. Men and women waiting or scooping back from chapel with taproom noses and wind-bust cheeks, all albinos, would huddle their stiff black-jarring feathers against the irreligious snows. A mistletoe hung from the gas brackets in all of the front parlors. There was walnuts and sherry and, and bottled beer and crackers by the dessert spoons. And cats in their furabouts watched the fires. And the high-heat fire spat, all ready for the chestnuts and the mulling pokers. Some few large men, uncles almost certainly, sat in the front parlors trying their new cigars, holding them judiciously out at arm's length, returning them to their mouths, coughing, and then holding them out again as though waiting for the explosion. Some few small aunts not wanted in the kitchen, or anywhere else for that matter, sat on the very edges of their chairs, poised and brittle, afraid to break like faded cups and saucers. Not many those mornings trod the piling streets. An old man was always fawn-bouldered and yellow-gloved, and at this time of year, with spats of snow, would take his constitutional to the white bowling green and back as he would take it wet or fine on Christmas Day or Doomsday. Sometimes, two hale young men, their big pipes blazing, no overcoats and wind-blown scarves would trudge unspeaking down to the forlorn sea to work up an appetite, to blow away the fumes, who knows, to walk into the waves until nothing of them was left but the two curling smoke clouds of their inextinguishable briars. And then I'd be slap-dashing home, the gravy smell of the dinners of others, the bird smell, the pudding and mints coiling up to my nostrils, when out of a snow-clogged side lane would come a boy, the spit of myself, with a pink-tipped cigarette and the violet pass of a black eye, leering all to himself, cocky as a bullfinch. I hated him on sight and sound, and I would be about to put my dog whistle to my lips and blow him off the face of Christmas, when suddenly he, with a violent wink, put his whistle to his lips, and he blew so high, so stridently, so exquisitely loud, that gobbling faces, their cheeks bulged with goose, pressed against the tinseled windows the whole length of the white echoing street. For dinner, we had turkey and blazing pudding. And after dinner, the uncles sat in the front parlors, loosened all buttons, placed their large, moist hands over their watch chains, groaned a little, and slept. Mothers, sisters, and aunts scuttled to and fro bearing tureens. Auntie Bessie, who had already been frightened twice by a clockwork mouse, whimpered by the sideboard and had some elderberry wine. The dog was sick. Auntie Dozy, 
had to have three aspirin. But Auntie Hannah, who liked port, stood in the middle of the snowbound backyard, singing like a big bosomed thrush. I would blow up balloons to see how big they would blow up to. And when they burst, which they all did, the uncles jumped and rumbled. In the rich and heavy afternoon, the uncles breathing like dolphins and the snow descending, I would sit among festoons and Chinese lanterns and nibble dates and try to make a model man of war following instructions for little engineers and produce what might be mistaken for a sea-going tram car. Or I would go out, my bright new boots squeaking into the white world, onto the seaward hill to call on Jim and Dan and Jack to plod through the still streets, leaving huge, deep footprints on the hidden pavements. Well, I bet people will think they've been hippos. Well, what would you do if you saw a hippo coming down our street? Well, I would go like this, bang, and I would throw him over the railing, and I would roll him down the hill, and I would tickle him under his ear, and he would wag his tail. Well, what would you do if you saw two hippos? Iron flanked and bellowing, he hippos clanked and battered toward us as we passed Mr. Daniel's house. Let's post Mr. Daniel a snowball in his letterbox. Let's write things in the snow. Let's write, Mr. Daniel looks like a spaniel all over his front lawn. Or we walked on the white shore. Can the fishes see it snowing? The silent one-clouded heavens drifted onto the sea, and now we were snow-blind travelers lost on the north hills and the vast dew-lapped dogs with flask around their necks ambled and shambled up to us, baying excelsior. We returned home, through the still streets where only a few small children fumbled with bare red fingers in the wheel-rutted snow, and Cat called after us, their voices fading away as we trudged uphill into the cries of the dockbirds and the hooting of ships out in the whirling bay. At tea, the recovered uncles would be jolly. The ice cake loomed in the center of the table like a marble grave, and Auntie Hannah laced her tea with rum, because it was only once a year. Bring out the tall tales now, we told by the fire, as the gaslight bubbled like a diver. Ghost wooed like owls in all of the long night when I dared not look over my shoulder. Animals lurked in the cubbyhole under the stairs where the gas meter ticked. And I remember, we went singing carols once, when there wasn't a shaving of the moon to light the flying street. At the end of a long road was a drive that led to a large house, and we stumbled up the darkness of the drive that night, each one of us afraid, each one of us holding a stone in his hand, in case, and all of us, too brave to say a word. The wind through the trees made noises as of old and unpleasant and maybe web-footed men wheezing in caves. We reached the black bulk of the house. Well, what shall we give them? Hark the herald? Jem said. No, no, no. Good King Wenceslas, Dan said. I'll, I'll count three. One, two, three. And we began to sing. Our voice is high. 
and seemingly distant in the snow-felted darkness around the house occupied by nobody we knew. We stood close together near the dark door. Good King Wenceslas looked out on the feast of Stephen. And then a small dry voice, like the voice of someone who had not spoken in a long time, joined our singing. A small dry eggshell voice from the other side of the door. A small dry voice through the keyhole. And when we stopped running, we were outside our house. The front room was lovely. Balloons floated under the water bottle, gulping gas. Everything was good again and shone over the town. Perhaps it was a ghost, Jim said. Perhaps it was trolls, Dan said, who was always reading. Uh, let's go in and see if there's any jelly left, Jack said. And we did that. Always on Christmas night, there was music. An uncle played the fiddle. A cousin sang Cherry Ripe, and another uncle played Drake's drum. It was very warm in the little house. Auntie Hannah, who'd got onto the parsnip wines, sang a song about bleeding hearts and death, and then another in which she said her heart was like a bird's nest. Everyone laughed again. And then I went to bed, looking through my bedroom window, out into the unending night, and the smoke-colored snow. I could see the lights coming from all of the houses on our hill, and I could hear the music rising from them up the long and steadily falling night. I got into bed. I turned the gas down. I said some words to the close and holy darkness, and then I slept. That was A Child's Christmas in Wales by Dylan Thomas. Thank you ever so much for listening. I hope you have a happy holiday season wherever you are and whatever holiday it is. If you'd like to contact me, you can do that through my website, jamesnave.com. Nave is spelled N-A-V-E. And if you are so moved, please feel free to share this story with anyone you know. And once again, thank you ever so much for listening. I really do appreciate it.